During the last few days of 1983, two of my fellow seminary students and I were in London, England. We were there before traveling on to Northern Ireland to fulfill one of our student requirements, attending the week of prayer the first week of January, which met at that time in Kilkeel. During the two days that we spent as tourists in London, we saw tangible signs of the new year that was about to begin, 1984. In the display windows of every bookshop, and there were bookshops in those days, in the display windows of every shop we passed were new copies of a 35-year-old book. The book's simple title was 1984. The author was George Orwell, and the initial publication was in 1949, just four years after the end of World War II. The new conflict between the Soviet Union with its allies against the former allies of the Soviet Union in the West became known even at that date as the Cold War. In Winston Churchill's memorable phrase from a 1948 speech in the United States, an iron curtain descended across the European continent. The approach of the calendar year 1984 revived discussions about the contents of the book, 1984. Orwell's novel presented a world in which the government reshaped history by removing the records of parts of that history entirely. A phrase that Orwell made famous in his book was memory holes. The memory holes were openings in the walls of the Ministry of Truth where workers deposited historical records that the government determined to remove. Those records went into those holes, slots, however you want to think of them, and down shoots into a vast incinerator that charred them to ash. In that way, the people who came along after that time never knew that such events occurred. The trouble was that the events did occur, but the records of them vanished from the history books. Such activities take place these days before our eyes. Members of the mainstream media ignore some events while distorting and inflating the significance of others to suit a certain political agenda. The issue is not as much about the events themselves as about how, if at all, people learn about the events. 
The scenario that Orwell presented in his famous book has unfolded throughout history. Sometimes the loss of memory has been the result of neglect. But other times it has been the result of suppression of the record of the events. In China today, speaking now about red China, communist China, those who are less than 30 years old know nothing about the 1989 massacre in Tiananmen Square. The history books in China reflect little or nothing about that event so that a whole generation has now been educated in China and has no knowledge of what happened. That event did happen, of course. Many people, even in China, who remain alive know that it happened. But for many others, the records of that event no longer exist. They have gone down the memory holes. In our text today, in Psalm 106, the children of Israel forgot events that they witnessed that they experienced. They forgot the miracles of the plagues in Egypt. They forgot the deliverance through the blood of the Passover lamb. They forgot how God opened the Red Sea before them so that the water was a wall unto the children of Israel on either side while they crossed on dry land. Those events happened at points in history. And the children of Israel witnessed, yea, participated in those events. But what do we read here? They soon forgot God's works. It was as though they gathered up the records of those events that they witnessed, that they experienced, and sent them down memory holes to incineration. Forgetfulness is the sin of neglecting and undermining the truth about God's works. It's not innocent. This psalm sets out the impact of the forgetting. The failure to remember led the people to provoke Moses so that he spoke unadvisedly with his lips and incurred the chastisement of God. The danger is always there, not least when there is a change in the leadership of a local congregation. This psalm is God's exhortation to his people not to forget. The truth that rises from this psalm and our text in particular is that there are memory holes in the house of God. Memory holes in the house of God. Over more than 35 years now, I have been the pastor of this church 
Uh, I benefited from the fact that there was no one before me, so there was no one to whom I could be compared. I have tried to be faithful to the twin calling to which reference was made last night that God has given me. One of those callings was to move my family from South Carolina to this area to begin a new Free Presbyterian congregation. We heard last night that in, in those days, uh, our seminary program was in its infancy, and the main concern was to be sure that we had our theological training settled. So there were a lot of things about pastoral theology that did not get as much attention, and church planting was one of those. But we learned that if God called us, he would see to it that we learned what we needed to learn. So we moved here in 1985, and I can say before God that I never doubted that calling at any point from April 12, 1985 to the present day. Trials have come, and there have been days of great blessing, but my mind has never had a question about the call of God. The other part of the calling of God to me here was to be sure that whatever else I had to do as a minister of the gospel, I would focus my attention on feeding the flock of God that he purchased with his own blood. I was aware from the beginning that it was never my church. It was never my flock. It was the flock that God purchased with his own blood. So now the last Lord's Day of all the years of discharging that calling of God has arrived. This psalm is a challenge to God's people in this change. The children of Israel saw amazing events. We can scarcely conceive of them. To walk through a sea where the water was a wall on either side, but you were on high ground. Amazing events. To put the blood of the Passover lamb on the lintel and side posts of the door and to shelter inside it so that when other houses in Egypt were mourning and wailing over the deaths of firstborn children in the homes of the children of Israel, there was peace and safety. Amazing events. Quickly, however, we learn here they forgot the impact of those events. Be sure that you do not fall into that trap especially for those who have spent their lives in this church, the challenge is fierce. The devil is on the warpath against you. 
And especially for those people, the suggestion always is, let's let the records of what you have witnessed here in this church drop from your hands into the memory holes that are in the house of God. Let not the testimony of the word of God be of you that you soon forgot his works and waited not for his counsel. Our text and its context in this remarkable song set before us the practice, the perils, and the prevention of forgetting. And I don't often announce the points in advance, so now there can be no question as to what they are, and we will continue until we've covered them all because there is no other recourse. First, the practice of forgetting. We read the whole psalm because I wanted you to get the focus of the psalm at the outset that the Lord is good, that his mercy endureth forever. That is true. But we read in verse 7 that the people did not remember the multitude of God's mercies. And they didn't remember them because they didn't understand the wonders that God did in Egypt. Why did they fail to understand the things they witnessed, that they experienced? The answer is they did not believe. They did not believe. They enjoyed the great benefit of shelter from the strongest of the plagues that God poured on the Egyptians. The plague of darkness. The children of Israel had light in their dwellings, but no one else did. They did not understand what God did. They got the benefit of what God did, but they didn't understand it. And before we judge them too harshly, as we are so prone to do and argue, well, if we had been in their place, it would have been different. We would have understood. Let us remember the solemn warning that Paul gave to the Ephesian elders in his farewell to them. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, speaking to the elders, but it's a word for all of God's people. Take heed unto yourselves, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And here's the most tragic part of it, also of your own selves. Shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. 
Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Those like Peter in the upper room who are sure of their standing. Oh, the others may all betray you or deny you, Lord, but not I won't be doing that. I, I, I'll go with you to prison. I'll go with you to death. They need to beware lest they fall. Now, there's grace in this psalm because the lack of understanding on the part of the people did not derail God's purpose for them. It transcended all that they forgot Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. He still saved them from the hand of those that hated them. But the lack of understanding fueled the rebellious spirit that opened many graves in the desert. All but two of that generation, all but two of that generation were buried in the wilderness. And in the mournful wanderings over the years, no doubt they passed by the same places where before they had buried people of that generation. We read in verses 13 through 21, they soon forgot his works, they waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. They provoked God. They despised and detested God's wise counsel and surrendered to their depraved desires. They were not content with a God they could not see. Let's have a God we can see. Let's fashion a golden calf. This is our God now. This is Jehovah now. We read in verses 28 and 29, they joined themselves. Here's the awful issue. They joined themselves also unto Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. This is not just immorality. This is blasphemy. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions. And the plague break in upon them. Do you still think it can't happen here? And to you? As we emphasized last Lord's Day. You have to give the more earnest heed to the things that you have heard lest at any time you let them slip. If you put them aside, you will find those memory holes are there. And that's where those things will go. You can incinerate the record in your mind of what God has done. But here's the grace. What God has done will continue to be a fact. You see, the Chinese cannot obliterate what happened at Tiananmen Square. That happened. And many people in the world know that it happened. 
what God did in Egypt was beyond the ability of any incinerator to change. The practice of forgetting is alarming enough. But then we come to the second part of our text, the perils of forgetting. For the people of God, as we have read here, forgetting God's works is dangerous. This is not an innocent pastime. It is dangerous. It leads to the weakening of your faith and it shakes, therefore, the church to its core. The church needs people who are resolved and committed to stand for the truth, to stand with Christ outside the camp, to bear his reproach. It is not a popular position. And there are many organizations that go under the name of evangelicalism today that have tried to reduce the level of reproach. But if you stand for Christ, you will not be popular. I'm telling you that right now. We have proved that in this church over 35 years. We read in our text that they did not remember the multitude of God's mercies. And when you neglect to praise God for all his mercies, you are in peril. That generation, as we have said, saw the miracle at the Red Sea. But it didn't take very long before they forgot it. We would think we would never forget it. We would never forget it. There they were, trapped between Pharaoh's onrushing army and the sea. They had to figure one way or the other, they were as good as dead. And then God opened the way through the sea, and there they were, walking between those walls of water. We would think we'd never forget that. But we read in verse 13, they soon forgot his works. Why? Because other challenges arose that they thought were more important and more immediate. And so they tempted God in the desert. What a horrible thing for those who walked through the sea to tempt God in the desert. They tempted him. They challenged God. God, you're not able to take care of this people in the wilderness. You can't provide us water to drink. You can't provide us food to eat. And here's the danger of forgetting. You begin to question God's ability to carry out the promises of his covenant. And that spirit led to the envy of God's servants. God placed Moses and Aaron in leadership over the people. And there were people who said, what makes them so special? We're all the people of God. We should have an equal say in what goes on. The reference here is to the rebellion that took place. You can read of it in the book of Numbers, where Korah, and then Dathan and Abiram 
and their families lifted themselves up against what God had done. And they fell under God's judgment. That's the peril of forgetting. Falling under divine judgment. Here were people who walked through the sea. And there the earth opened beneath their feet. And they went down and all their families into perdition. Remember what we read in Acts? Paul warned the Ephesian elders that out of their midst, out of themselves, not talking just about people who would come in from outside, but out of yourselves, men would arise to rebel and to subvert what Paul had taught. And that spirit of rebellion is very much alive today. Those who forgot, those people who walked through the Red Sea on dry land fell into the chasm that God opened beneath their feet. And others who did not fall into that chasm lost their lives in the plague and the fire that God sent. So the forgetting is not innocent. And it is not the simple result of neglect. It was the spirit of rebellion against what God did. The perils of forgetting. Oh, they ought to be cautions to us. But I'm thankful we don't have to stop there. Else it would be very much a discouraging message. Because there's a third aspect of our text. And our theme, there is a way to avoid falling prey to the memory holes in the house of God. The prevention of forgetting. There's a way to prevent it. So we should all be lining up to say, I want to know what that is because I don't want to be involved in those perils. The program to keep from forgetting is a simple one as it's laid out in this psalm. It's the opposite of what so many of the children of Israel did. You follow three simple directives. First, you believe God's words. And just in case you were thinking of something else just then, let me repeat that directive. Believe God's words. Wait for his counsel. That is, make the book of God your chief joy and rely on it for all you do in your life. We have young people in our congregation today. Some are regular parts of our congregation, others are visiting. But I have a word for you today. It is believe God's words. You are the people of the 21st century. We're just sharing your century with you for a little while. But in the providence of God, your lives are stretching out to the horizon. Our grandson, 
Stevie was four years old. Very easy to consider that he could still be living in 2100, the dawn of the 22nd century. The best life for you young people is to believe God's words and to live according to God's words. The best life for you is to recognize the truth that John Bunyan expressed and to which Abraham, the great patriarch, gave voice that you are strangers and pilgrims in this world. What opportunities you will have for the kingdom of Christ in your century. Believe God's words. The scriptures, and I've sought to emphasize it at every opportunity, the scriptures are the divinely inspired and therefore inerrant words of God, and they are infallible. Sometimes that word gets left behind in the emphasis on inerrancy. They are infallible. That is, their authority will always prevail. It doesn't matter what people think about what the Bible says. The Bible's authority will prevail. So be people of the book of God. That is the greatest challenge I can give you. Devote yourself. To the book of God. Let not a day pass without being in the book of God. But also as we read in verse 12. Sing God's praise. They believed. Then believed they his words. They sang his praise. So sing God's praise. And let me be clear. What I mean by that, lift up your voice in singing that exalts the Savior without sullying the atmosphere of praise with the cheap, popular rhythms of the day. Without trying to import the popular culture, which is a curse to the world, into the church. Spurgeon was the one who warned in the 19th century that the problem that the church has was not so much that it was in the world, but that the world was in the church. Learn to treasure the Psalms. Learn to treasure the rich heritage of the church's hymnody. Because those are the things that will steady your soul in the storms of life. Last night... We heard our young people sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's my favorite hymn. If it is not part of the funeral service for me, I will probably come back to haunt those who (laughs) plan it. A Mighty Fortress is Our God. When I was 22 years old, I was working the summer of that year for a landscaper in the Milwaukee area. And it was not what you would call a pleasant job. A lot of the days were hot and sticky, 
And uh, the thing that I passed the time with as we trimmed bushes, cut grass, and did other things was a mighty fortress is our God. I don't know how many times I sang that during that year. Learn to lift up your voice in praise to God. When you sing God's praise, then your mind soars above the latest evidence of perversion in the world around you. Maybe there's a corollary here, and that is, uh, don't be so fascinated by the news of the day. I, I have reduced my consumption of news and found my life is much happier as a result. Because I already know how everything is going to end. So it doesn't concern me all that much about the details. But as you believe God's words and sing his praise, attend to the third part of the program. Remember his mercies. Remember. Remember. Remembering is not an accidental event. It means you take your mind and you attend to the things that you're trying to remember. This is the directive that requires on your part resolve and commitment that you will not forget. One of the burdens of my ministry here has been to remind you of what God has done in the past. Oh, let us not forget those things. Some have expressed impatience at times, not anyone here anymore, I don't think, with the emphasis on church history. But it's important that we remember those things to keep us firm in our confidence in God's truth. Remember God's mercies. Remember the doctrine of the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures by the Holy Spirit that the Bible exists by reason of a miracle. So that the Bible is not like any other book. No, it's not like the Koran. It's not like the Book of Mormon or any of the other frauds that the devil has perpetrated in the world. It is a miraculous book. Remember the truth that God created the heavens and the earth in the space of six 24-hour days and all very good. Remember the truth that we emphasized a few weeks ago of the worldwide catastrophe that was the global flood. Yes, that event did happen. Jesus said it happened. That's enough for me. Remember the incarnation and virgin birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Without that, there is no Christianity. Remember the doctrines of grace. Remember that, as the primer said, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. Remember that total depravity means total inability 
and that apart from God's miraculous intervention, you cannot be saved. Remember, that's not only true about you, it's true about all the people who are around you. Remember the truth that God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Whenever you're feeling discouraged, remember that truth. Remember the truth that justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Remember that God imputed all your guilt to Christ and all his righteousness to you. I was reading a letter that came in the book that we received last night from someone who attended this church years ago. And she said it was here that she learned the truth of justification and that it changed her life. She was not then afterward trying to figure out what to do to make God happy with her because she knew that God was happy with her in Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus not only died on the cross to make the atonement for your sins, but that he rose again from the dead and ascended to sit at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. Remember that Christ's resurrection is the guarantee that you too, in your flesh, will behold God in his glory. Remember that you are Protestants. And that, as Dr. Panosian has said in our presence, Protestantism is most powerful in any age when it is most contrary to the age. Oh, for a race of Protestants today. Remember the Reformation. Remember those intrepid souls whom God used to recover the truth of the apostolic faith. No, they didn't invent anything new. They simply cleared away the rubbish and they recovered that truth from all the layers of corruption in papal Rome. Remember, I could say as well, that God has called you to stand with Christ outside the camp. The Bible doctrine of separation is not an option for God's people. May God's mercy spare you and spare the congregation as a whole from ever having in this pulpit anyone who will try to obscure the lines of separation on which this church has stood for all of its history. The children of Israel forgot their God. They forgot God their Savior. Learn the lesson today. It is certainly possible to forget God. 
Resolve that you will not forget. That you will not let slip the things that you have heard. The Lord's servant Joshua, who succeeded Moses, on the eve of his departure from the world, left a solemn exhortation for the people of God. Joshua chapter 24. Verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him, notice, in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, Choose you this day whom ye will serve. Oh, there's the choice to make. Choose whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let that be your testimony. Resolve. Today, that you will be like Joshua. You will serve the Lord. Because then, you will avoid the memory holes in the house of God. May God bless his word. It is a sobering word, and it's designed to be so. We are aware of the dangers. We need God to fix in our hearts that resolve that we will serve the Lord, that we will exalt Jesus Christ, that we will believe God's words. That's how you prevent forgetting.